Uh, I'll be preaching out of Mark chapter 11. That was the first uh, reading that we had this morning, in case you have your Bible with you. Um, Is it possible to see something, to see it right there in front of your own two eyes, and yet not really see it, to just miss it? That is a question that comes to my mind every time I look for ketchup in the refrigerator. And psychologists have a name for this. They call it inattentional blindness, inattentional blindness. And, uh, and the most famous example is something that you may have seen. So it's, it's this video where you as the viewer, you're asked to count how many times you see a basketball being passed amongst these students, right? And so then at the end of the video, they ask you, okay, how many times did you see the basketball passed? And you say, you know, 15. And they say, great, good job. Okay, now did you see the dancing gorilla? Has anybody seen this? And, and apparently 50% of people who watch this video are like, what are you talking about? What dancing gorilla? But sure enough, they play the video back, and right there in the midst of this small crowd is this man in a gorilla costume who comes just kind of like dancing his way through, gives a little wave, and then heads out. You see him, but you don't, your mind doesn't register it. You don't see him. And so that's something I think about this time of year, because on Palm Sunday, I think something that, that comes to my mind at least is, what would it have been like to have been there that day? Like, what would it have been like to have walked with Jesus, to have seen him coming into Jerusalem, riding on the donkey? And one of the most unnerving claims of the Gospels, especially the Gospel of Mark, is that even if you had been there, even if you had seen him with your own two eyes, you might not have seen him. You might not have recognized him as the Messiah. We might have, you know, scholars say, you know, why, why does this inattentional blindness thing happen? They say, well, maybe it's because you're distracted. You know, you're, you're so focused on the basketballs. And so maybe we would have missed Jesus because we would have been distracted by the other stuff happening in our lives, by our, our busy schedules and by money and finances, you know, by, by jobs, by relationships. I mean, the same reasons that people were distracted and, and missed Jesus back then. Or they say, you know, maybe you missed the dancing gorilla because you just aren't expecting him to come through. And so maybe we would have missed Jesus because he just doesn't look like the Messiah that we expected. He's a bit too gentle. He's a bit too humble to be the king that that we would have seen coming. And so what what I want us to do this morning and really this whole week of, of Holy Week is to ask for the gift of sight. Lord, help me to see Help me to see you in your fullness this week. Give me the grace to see you. And, uh, and what, I, what I want us to see this morning is that there's, there's a lot happening in this chapter or this passage in Mark, that Jesus is not only being revealed in this kind of defining moment as our king, but he's also being revealed as our great prophet and our priest you know, these three separate roles that were key, crucial to the life of Israel, but come together in this one person of Jesus. On Palm Sunday, Jesus is revealed as our great prophet, our great king, and our great high priest. And so as we begin, as we begin looking at this passage, I, would, I just want to start with a simple question. You know, as a youth pastor, I get a lot of these like really basic questions that are actually like really profound when you start thinking about them. And so the basic question this morning is, what's up with the donkey? Like, why is he riding a donkey? 
We're so used to this passage, we might not even ask that anymore, but, but it is kind of interesting. I mean, this is the only time in the Gospels that Jesus is riding on an animal. So what's the deal? Let's begin. If you look at this passage from Mark 11, you see that there's only four verses out of the 11 that are about the actual procession into Jerusalem. Only four. The other seven are about the donkey. Seven verses about just getting this animal ready for Jesus to ride him. I mean, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? What's up with that? And I think this actually tells us about Jesus' role as a prophet. You see, what do prophets do? Prophets know things that you can't know otherwise. You know, prophets predict the future, and we see that happening here. You know, Jesus tells two of his disciples in verse 2, Go into the village in front of you. Immediately as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. And sure enough, that's what happens. They go into the village, and there's this animal. And Jesus says, hey, somebody, somebody might come up to you and ask you about it, and here's what you say to them. Everything will be all right. And sure enough, that happens. But predicting the future, knowing things that, that can't be known otherwise, that's actually not the main role of a prophet. That's important. It confirms that they really are hearing on behalf of God and speaking to the people. But it's that latter part that's the important part, that a prophet's job is to, to know the mind of God and speak that to the people. And that's what we see Jesus doing here. You see, all throughout the Gospel of Mark, there's this big secret. You know, it's kind of a funny part of the Gospel of Mark. Anytime it comes out that Jesus is really the Messiah, he's like, wait, 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 but don't tell anybody yet. It's not time yet until Mark chapter 11. When we come to Palm Sunday, Jesus knows the mind of God. And he's saying, now is the time for his status, his identity as the Messiah, to be publicly revealed for everybody to see. We're not keeping this a secret anymore when we come to Palm Sunday. And so the other thing that prophets do, they communicate the mind of God, but then they tell the people, and here's how you can participate in this. So you think about Moses, you know, Moses goes to the people, the Hebrews, and he says, look, God wants to free you from slavery, and here's what you need to do. You need to follow us out into the wilderness. And so Jesus invites the disciples to participate. He says, look, I'm going to be revealed as the king. It's time for that now, and the Father's goodwill, and you're going to help with this. You're going to go get the donkey that's going to be part of this symbolic act. This kind of prophetic work, this is what Jesus has been doing throughout the Gospel of Mark, speaking on behalf of God, speaking with authority. You know, authority that doesn't come from his educational background, that doesn't come because he's affiliated with the right teachers, but authority that comes directly from heaven. Authority to say that God is going to restore Israel and the way that he's going to do it is through the death and resurrection of his son. And here in Palm Sunday, it's finally time for that. Jesus, this new Moses figure, leading his people into freedom by his word. You know, recently, there was this really fascinating op-ed in the New York Times. Uh, you might have seen this. It was, called, um, it was called The Empty Religions of Instagram. And it was written by this young millennial woman named Lee Stein and and Lee Stein basically said, you know, she follows like, you know, kind of this, this cohort of influencers on Instagram. 
And they all have this very similar message. You know, they're talking about, you know, uh, positivity and self-acceptance and the importance of therapy and, and, you know, wellness and these different spiritual practices that you can have in your life that, that kind of help you deal with the pressures of life. And what she realized is that these Instagram, you know, kind of thought leaders, influencers, whatever, that these are actually religious teachers for people like her, people who are not religious. They're offering religious guidance. They're the prophets of the day saying, this is how the universe works. And if you want to live your best life now, do these things. This is how you can participate in the way that the world works. And what Lee found during the, during the pandemic is that, that this was really unsatisfying. It wasn't working for her. She was yearning for something more. Because what she realized is that while these influencers were kind of teaching her how to live her best life, they weren't teaching her how to make the best use of her life. They weren't giving her a deeper sense of purpose. And they weren't asking kind of these fundamental questions that religions ask. Why are we here? Why is there suffering? What is there to believe in outside of ourselves? These prophets couldn't answer those things, but Jesus the prophet, he does. He does answer these things. Why are we here? Because God loves this world. That's why he created it. And why is there evil and suffering? Or because, because evil and death have taken over. They've corrupted this good world. But don't worry. Don't worry because the kingdom of God is here. And evil and death are being overcome even now by the power of his word, by the power of the cross. Jesus the prophet tells you and I how our lives fit into this story, how we can participate in this bigger story. And he says this, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. He tells us how to participate by following him on the way of the cross. Jesus the prophet shows us the way. So getting back to our story, Okay, why the donkey, though? Why the donkey? Well, first, we should note that in this passage, the, the do word donkey isn't used. It says colt there. And so colt, you know, probably makes you think of a young horse, right? And so in the original language, this word does, it can mean young horse, like a colt, but it can also just mean the offspring of any animal, you know, the foal of any animal. And so Matthew and John's gospel, they make it clear that this is a donkey. And secondly, you should know that, that riding into Jerusalem on an animal at this time of year probably wasn't common. So it was expected that, that Jewish men would come into Jerusalem for the celebration of the Passover. And at least one Jewish source says it was expected that they'd make the pilgrimage on foot. So here Jesus comes riding an animal. Why is he doing this? Well, the other gospels spell it out clearly. So you can't miss the meaning. And they quote Zechariah 9.9, his prophet in the Old Testament. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus rides a donkey because he is the true king of Israel. Because he is the son of David coming home to his city. But there's even more to it than this. You see, horses, horses are war animals. 
in the Greco-Roman world. Horses are what you ride when you want to show off military power. It's what the Caesars would ride when they would ride into cities that they'd conquered. And in the Hebrew scriptures, you see people riding horses in Jerusalem as well. In 2 Samuel, you see a guy named Absalom riding a horse around Jerusalem as he's trying to steal the kingdom from his father, David. And then later in 1 Kings chapter 1, you see you know, Absalom's half-brother, Adonijah, riding a horse around Jerusalem as he's trying to take the throne from his father, David. And so you get the pattern there that in the Hebrew scriptures, when you ride a horse in Jerusalem, you are a pretend king. But when David comes into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, the very place that Jesus is riding in from, when he comes into Jerusalem, coming out of exile, he comes riding on a donkey. And when his son Solomon takes the throne in 1 Kings chapter 1, he's riding on a donkey because they are the true king. And so when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, he's riding on a donkey because he is the true king of Jerusalem. He's coming in peace. He's not coming to conquer. The city already belongs to him. And the crowds take notice. Verse 8, And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. You know, the idea is that this king's majesty is so great that not only should his feet not touch the ground, but even the animal that he's riding on, their feet shouldn't touch the ground. And again, these, these kind of processions were really common in the Roman world. You know, royal officials would come into a city and they'd be greeted by a big crowd outside the city and kind of escorted in and they'd be lauded with speeches on their way to the temple, you know, at the center of the city. And you see how different Jesus' entrance is than that. You know, he's got the big crowd, but there's no display of military power. There's no train of captives and slaves behind him but instead, there's a train of willing followers, people who have received mercy from this humble king. They're the ones that are following him. And they're singing this song from Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This psalm that's asking for God to intervene again, to bring them a king like David, a courageous king who can protect them from their enemies. And so I have to admit, when I think about Palm Sunday, I am both captivated by this scene, this incredible scene of the crowds surrounding Jesus on a donkey, and then I'm, I'm also disappointed by it. Because in my heart, I don't want a humble king, right? Because our world has big problems. And what I really want is a big, strong king, a strong man, to defeat and overcome those problems and those issues. I mean, even Psalm 118 is looking for someone like that. They say, the nations, they surround me like a swarm of bees, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. That's the kind of king that Psalm 118 is looking forward to. And instead, we get this humble king riding on a donkey. You know, I want a king who can stand up, you know, to, to the nation of China right now, right? committing genocide against her own people, against the Uyghur Muslim population on her western border, this thing that's happening right now, and there's no one to stop it. No one to stop it. I want a king who can do something about that. I want a king who can do something about mass shootings in our own country, especially the hundreds of mass shootings that happen in cities like this one that never get picked up 
by the national news. I want a king who can do something about that. I don't want a humble king. I want a strong king. I want a Caesar. I want a king riding a horse. I want a king carrying a sword. And so the challenge of Palm Sunday is what do we do with a gentle king? What do we do with a king like Jesus who's humble and comes riding on a donkey? And that is the question for our time. It challenges our expectations about power and the right use of power and the good use of power. It challenges our expectations about how change actually comes. Jesus is a king who serves. He's a king who sacrifices. He's a king who comes in peace, riding on a donkey. And so now we come to the end of the story, verse 11. And Jesus entered Jerusalem. And where did he go? To the temple. Into the temple. So as I said, in these Roman processions, when they would come into the city, it was normal that they would come to the city's temple, and they'd offer a sacrifice to the God there. And they'd hope that they could gain, you know, that God's favor. But Jesus doesn't come to the temple to offer a sacrifice on Sunday. And he doesn't come to the temple to earn God's favor. And so what is he doing there? Mark says, he came to look around at everything. And when it had grown late, he went back home to Bethany. Because this king is not yet welcomed into his own city. And this really stood out to me this week, the time that Jesus spends in the temple. You know, have you ever wondered in Holy Week, like, how do things escalate so fast? He comes in, everything's cool on on Palm Sunday, he comes in, you know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and by Thursday, he's arrested. So what happens in those in-between days? And the answer is the temple. It's what happens in the temple Because Jesus is going to spend Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday right here in the temple, where Sunday night, he's just looking around. Monday, he's going to show up with a whip. As the gospel writer John says, a whip that he made with his own hands. He's going to show up with a whip, and he's going to cleanse it. He's going to drive out the money changers who have turned this house of prayer into a place of greed and manipulation and corruption. And then Tuesday, he's going to show up again, and he's going to teach and preach. And he's going to go toe-to-toe with the religious leaders of the day, and he's going to make them so angry that they're going to interrupt him right in the middle of what he's saying, and they're going to say, who are you? Where do you get your authority from? Who do you think you are saying all these things? And then Wednesday, he's going to come back again, teaching and preaching again in the temple, so that by Wednesday, the chief priests are saying, we got to do something about this guy. And they're conspiring with Judas to take his life. Why do things escalate so quickly? It's because Jesus is challenging the authority of the religious leaders, the cultural leaders of the day. He's challenging their authority and what they think is their house. But it's not their house. It's his father's house. And so what is the role that Jesus is taking on here? And I would say he is acting as a priest. You see, we often think of priests as kind of the the quintessential, like, Mr. Nice Guy. Right, Father Aaron? You know, these, these, like, gentle souls, you know, who just, they want to give you an encouraging word on Sundays and say, buck up, you know, you can do it. And we do that sometimes. 
Priests do that sometimes. I'm a pastor. I'm not a priest. Not we. Um, but, uh, but that's not what Jesus is doing here. He is not Mr. Nice Priest on Palm Sunday. Because what's a priest's job? A priest's job is to serve so that the people can have access to God. And the temple is no longer fulfilling that function. Jesus says it's like a dead tree. It's like a tree that doesn't bear fruit. People are not encountering his father in the temple. And so Jesus is upset about that. He's zealous about his father's house. He's zealous like a a priest named Phineas was zealous in Numbers 25. Zealous that people would encounter the God who freed them from slavery. And so Jesus goes toe-to-toe with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests and the scribes, all of these different groups that aren't necessarily connected, that aren't necessarily united with each other, except by the fact that they're threatened by Jesus' teaching. Jesus is zealous because he cares for the people. He cares that in the temple they would encounter God. And so he cares about false teaching. He cares about shame that's being hoisted on the shoulders of his people. He's he's upset about a false gospel that says you'll be accepted if you do the right things in the right ways. He says that's not who God is. That's not what the temple is about. He He is zealous that nothing would stand in the way between you and his father. That's what a priest is. That's what a priest does. And I would encourage you this week to really consider this zeal. The fact that in these, in these stories where Jesus is teaching in the temple, he is teaching on behalf of you and me. He's protecting us. He's defending us. He's battling for us with the leaders of the day. And so I'd encourage you to think about your own lives. Think about the things that are getting in the way. What are the sins in your life? This is the week of all weeks to think about that, to ask that question. What are the sins that are holding me back? What are the idols that I'm holding on to? What are the wounds that I am not letting the Father heal, that I'm holding on to? Because being wounded is better than the alternative, which might require forgiveness. I'm just not ready for that. What are those things that we're holding on to? Because Jesus is not angry with you. He's not. That's not why he goes to the temple. But he is angry at those things that keep you from the Father. He's angry about those things. He is zealous because he wants you to be free, to experience the God of freedom and salvation. Ask him to show you what's getting in the way. You see, right prior to our passage in Mark chapter 10, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's passing through Jericho. And there's somebody that kind of lets the cat out of the bag. You know, this person out in public who shouts, Jesus, son of David, you know, true king of Israel, have mercy on me. It's a man named Bartimaeus. And Jesus turns to him and he says, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus says, I want to see. And Jesus restores his eyesight. That is a prayer for us to pray this week in Holy Week. Lord, I want to see you. Would you restore my eyesight? I want to see you as as the prophet 
who shows us the way of freedom and salvation. I want to see you as the king who is coming to make this world right. I want to see you as my priest interceding for me, bringing me near to the Father out of your goodwill and out of his goodwill. I want to see you in your passion and in your death. I want to see you in your glorious resurrection. Lord, during Holy Week, I want to see you. And as we wait, and as we look on him, would we become like those that day who saw him and said, blessed is the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is his coming kingdom. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.